The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to skip the intro, please refer to the timestamp listed in the episode description. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is August 24th right now, 7.22, and we were just recording a little Patreon episode. And right when we finish, Olivia's like, do you know who Bray Wyatt is? And I was like, me? Of course. A WWE (laughs) fan? Of course I know who Bray Wyatt is. She's like, oh, he just died. And I was like, what? Mm. So I had to scream to Mike across my apartment, scream as if it's far, my small apartment, and I was like, Bray Wyatt died. He was like, what? And I was like, Olivia did not know what she was just, what was no, going to be the Olivia result of that. I on Facebook and he's got 1.9 million followers. I'm like, yeah. wow, there's this whole other alternate universe I have no idea about. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't have any idea about it for a long time. And then I just decided to have fun with it. And now, now I'm a fan. I was like, you need to post it. That's big news. She was like, is it? <laughs> I was like, yes. WWE fans are going to be upset. We actually don't have much of an intro because we recorded on Sunday and it's Thursday right now. So honestly, not much has happened in either of our lives. Well, not mine anyways. Um, I went to work. Same old, same old. I was stressed out. I'm still going to go to the, the fair on Saturday. That hasn't happened yet, so I can't talk about that. Um, peeps here in my lap, thriving, sleeping. Just the huge. But yeah, we do have some updates to go over, so we figure that'll... That'll make up for it. So the chat haters will be happy. <laughs> Do you have anything to chat about? No, I just, I'm still inching closer to spring. It's like six days or something till spring. So next time I will have nothing to whine about anymore. <laughs> yeah, I actually did put on a sweatshirt today. It was a little chilly, but not really. I think it's just like rainy and gross out as usual. And of course, it's going to, it's supposed to like rain this weekend on the fair. So I've mm. been like keeping an eye on it, but it's lowered to like 20%. But I still bought some really cool rain ponchos for me and Mike just in case. Cause I learned my <laughs> lesson after I went to that Renegades game <laughs> in a fucking hurricane. <laughs> So at least you're prepared. Yeah, I'm traumatized. I was literally like rain ponchos, and I got legit ones, like not even disposable ones. Mm. Mike's like you're embarrassing. <laughs> I'm not today, getting wet. Um, it was so cold here today. Like I'm still actually in my pajamas, which is an Woody, which I know you guys call it a snuggie or whatever. Oh anyway, yeah. I dropped I dropped the kids to school. I didn't even get changed. Usually I do that because I'm always like, what if I have a car accident and I have to get out of the car? But today I didn't. And I just and I'm like, when we got to school, I'm like, I'm just gonna get out and give you a kiss. And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um. Yeah, so we got some updates that we're going to get into. We got Lucy Letby and a little bit more on Brian Koberger. Of course, after our last episode just came out where I think we spoke about how the trial was probably going to go ahead in October. No, it's not. Ah! <laughs> a scared peep. <laughs> the last update that we gave you guys was that the judge said basically as far as he was concerned, the trial was going to start on October 2nd. Yesterday, which was Wednesday in the US, Brian appeared in court again and basically has waived his right to a speedy trial. His attorney has said this is because there is no way they will be ready to start on October 2 and apparently they are also having some juror issues, which I still, my mind is blown over this. Like we said in the last episode, they were going to call around a thousand people as possible jurors and the judge in this case, Judge Judge, Judge John Judge, 
was actually called to be a potential juror. <laughs> Shouldn't they um, not even be in the pool? Like Why? Like all these articles I've read of like he should have been kind of like struck off as being a potential juror, like removed from the list. I just But feel also like from like any thing- case. Yeah, absolutely. The whole thing <laughs> I just feel is a circus. Um I don't even really know what to say. Like my mind is blown that a judge could actually even somehow be get on the list to be a juror for the trial that he is presiding over. Yeah, I don't even get they should be not sent to that at all. You'd think there'd be a better system for this. I guess I never really thought about it, but I would just assume they wouldn't even get notice. <laughs> like, Yeah, I agree also. Like there should be a pool of people who you know are never, ever going to be suitable, and that's one of them. Yeah, or maybe they're just like, well, if they get it in the mail, obviously they're not going to do it. He should have, I don't even know why the judge brought it up because it just looks bad on everyone. They just should have mm. been like, no. I wonder if they will end up moving the trial if they're having this these issues already with the jury and now they've got more time, maybe they will move it. There hasn't been a new trial date set yet. They are having another hearing on September 1st to request the indictment be dismissed and then after that they will discuss a new schedule reset. But so as of now we have no time. As he's waived the speedy trial, I don't know, I'm guessing it could be years. Um, Oh, my God. I feel so horrible for the families. They posted before. I'm assuming they had an inkling about what might happen. So they posted things like, you know, thoughts and prayers needed. I just can't even imagine that this is just going to drag on for them. I saw someone messaged us and made a good point to the one where it was like he waived his right to speedy trial and someone responded, like, okay, but what about the victim's family's right to speedy trial? Why does he get the right? And even in the – I posted on Instagram and people are like, it is his right. I get it. Do you know what? And even I get postponing it a bit so that they can be more prepared, but there should be – like a time limit you get one year to prepare for the trial that's that's yeah. enough that should be enough time it doesn't need to go on for years and years and years which i could very well see this doing yeah if this goes on if this doesn't get done by next year i'm pissed <laughs> pissed I'll write that's why i feel someone. like i said in the last episode i couldn't believe it when the judge said it was actually going ahead i'm like wow really and then no no it's not i get that it must be like a ton of information and the defense does need to get ready but i do think they're just this is also like a shitty tactic, but I don't know. Someone will probably yell at me and be like, the legal system. I don't care. My emotions are involved. <laughs> <laughs> but when I posted it to the story, I posted it with that little rage meme comic that when I saw it, that was literally me. I was just like, ah! <laughs> I was so mad. Ugh. Especially after a judge was like, it's going forward. Like, excuse yeah. me. You just, you're just going <laughs> to give us such confidence and then change your mind? And just to kind of reiterate, the judge's name is Judge Judge. We've had so I many messages it. from people like, is there a typo? I'm like, no, there's no typo. The judge's name is Judge John Judge. He was clearly born for this role. <laughs> I kept seeing Judge Judge and I was like, why are they all doing this? Yeah. And I finally like looked. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do see that, that is correct. It's not a typo. Judge Judge. Yeah. Um, And then the other update is about Lucy Letby. Lucy has been found guilty of a lot of the charges that she was facing. She was sentenced also this week, so a very quick sentencing. I believe it was like the day after she was found guilty or, you know, not long after anyway. But she was sentenced to life in prison for murdering seven babies and attempting to kill six others. The judge there, or they call them a justice, James Goss, she got the most severe sentence possible under British law by imposing a whole life order to ensure that she will never, ever, ever get out of jail. I don't think she can ever even be up for parole but because the, the UK doesn't have a death penalty. 
Um, when she was sentenced, Justice Goss said there was premeditation, calculation, and cunning in her actions, and there was a malevolence bordering on sadism in your action. During the course of this trial, you have coldly denied any responsibility for your wrongdoing. You have no remorse, and there are no mitigating factors. Um, Lucy, I believe, didn't appear in court for her sentencing, which, again, that shouldn't be a right, I believe. Like, once you are convicted, you should have to face the court to receive your sentence, but she didn't for whatever reason. Um, a lot of the parents of the children who passed gave statements, and some of them were so heartbreaking. One mother said that she blamed herself and she didn't breastfeed any further children because she believed that her milk was tainted and that's what had caused the death of her baby. The mother, as if you remember the episode, they never named the children, but they gave them letters. So it was like child A, B, C, D, and onwards in regards to the yeah. victims. The mother of child I read a statement in court. So the statement said, I don't think we will ever get over the fact that our daughter was tortured till she had no fight left in her and everything she went through over her short life was deliberately done by someone who was supposed to protect her and help her to come home where she belonged. So um, I guess that's a good outcome. You can't really ask for much more, especially considering she will never get out of jail. I, do, I believe, let me just find this so I'm not wrong, because I don't think that she was. they found her guilty on everything. Um, I know. I keep seeing people like arguing about that. So uh, there is an article that says, as we mentioned, she was found guilty of the murder of seven babies found guilty on seven counts of the attempted murder of six infants. She was found not guilty on two counts of attempted murder and the jury was unable to reach verdicts on six further attempted murder charges. So they they are looking into whether or not there will be a retrial for those six charges that they couldn't reach verdicts on. They have 28 days, I believe, to consider that. I It wouldn't make much difference in terms of her sentence, but I guess for the families it would make the world of difference. Yeah, it's such a, like, when you think of how many babies, it's really such a massive trial to consider the charges for each and every single one. And because essentially a lot of the time there isn't, well, you know, a whole, I guess they just, you know, a whole lot of evidence. It was just kind of the mm-hmm. cumulative evidence that points to her being involved. So I can absolutely understand that they weren't able to find verdicts on some of them. So the trial began in October last year. So we're now at August. So that's how long these jurors have been on the panel for. They deliberated for over three weeks. Like I can't even imagine the trauma and things that they've seen. Horrible, but glad that she got got what she deserved. The sentence she deserved. All right. We are going to talk about an old case and a new case today. First, we're going to start off with Morgan Bauer. This was a case, I feel like I say this all the time, where I'm like, I didn't know her case, but I didn't. And recently, there has been some movement in her case. People were finally arrested after she went missing in 2016. And a lot of you sent it to us. We're like, oh my God, finally. So finally had a look into it. Did you know her? You knew it, right? I did because I feel like I'm probably getting the show wrong, but I feel like she was on Disappeared or one of those, you know, Last Mm. Seen Alive or something like that. So I did know the basics of her case. Um, You know all the missing people, so. (laughs) Yeah, I've said that's my forte. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I was across her case, um, definitely. So far, the search has located items of evidentiary interest. Porterdale police aren't saying what led to Thursday's massive search of this property at 2 South Broad Street in connection with the search for Morgan Bauer, seven years after she went missing. The search warrant was obtained based on credible information evidence gathered during the course of this investigation. But Fox 5 has learned the focus of the investigation shifted to Newton County and the town of Porterdale after Atlanta police passed along credible new information surrounding the South Dakota teen's disappearance. Bauer's mother flew to Atlanta in April 2016 to search for her daughter. 
At that time, Sherry Sitchmiller told Fox 5 that the 19-year-old moved to Atlanta for work that February and planned to live with someone she met on Craigslist. That plan didn't work out. Since then, Sitchmiller said she hasn't heard from Morgan. Sitchmiller told Fox 5 she heard that her daughter had worked at adult entertainment clubs in the metro area to make a living. An APD spokesman said the last reported sighting of the missing woman was in the Covington area. Her mother said Morgan's social media activity dropped off in late February of 2016. Law enforcement officials had a message for Morgan's loved ones. I, I would just ask for patience, and, and of course they have waited so long, and I know it's a little bit to ask them to wait a little bit longer, but they are the professional men and women out there searching, you know, in the conditions they're in are trying. So if they could just be patient with us a little bit, that, that uh, you know, we will update as soon as we know something and can tell them. Morgan was 19 when she went missing in February 2016. Like I said, two people have just been arrested and charged in connection with her murder, but she remains missing even though they've been charged with murder. Well, the one person has been charged with murder. Morgan Aaron Bauer was born on April 13, 1996. Her mother is Sherry Keenan and her sister is Alyssa. We haven't been able to find out too much more about her family, but Sherry has been a big advocate for Morgan over the years. Um, so Morgan grew up in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Seems like a nice place. Population around 30,000. And she graduated from Central High School. After she graduated, she had a dream to live in a big city. So on February 12, 2016, she traveled to Atlanta, Georgia via Minneapolis. Um, she had very limited funds. We've heard that she only had $20 to her name, which she borrowed from a friend. And she was waiting on her tax return via H&R Block to be direct deposited or loaded on to her card, whatever way she chose to get the money. So right before she left, Morgan and her mother, Sherry, got into a disagreement and they weren't speaking to each other at the time. I feel like that's caused a lot of, sorry to but I feel like that's caused a lot of um, contradicting things to be said in this case because essentially she was a little bit estranged from her family at the time. So there was a bit of catch up to be had in terms of her whereabouts and the circumstances and things like that. So that if you think this case seems sometimes a little bit patchy, I believe that is one of the reasons for it. Also, just the fact that like they weren't speaking with delays when they report her missing because it's not like they're speaking daily where someone would have noticed that she was yeah. missing right away. Um, so prior to their fight, Morgan told Sherry that she was moving in with two housemates, but this wasn't true. She had actually been communicating with a man on Craigslist and had arranged to stay at his place. The arrangement was that she would perform housekeeping duties in exchange to live there. So this didn't work out. And shortly after she arrived, I heard in a video today, I think it was only one day, they got into some sort of argument that night and the man asked Morgan to leave via a note and he put her belongings outside near the door and told her not to return. So I really want to know more about that, but I haven't. Yeah. I tried to look. I didn't see anything more about it anywhere. I just think, gosh, it would have been so terrifying. Imagine being somewhere with no money. You don't know anyone. You've been kicked out of the place that where you thought you could stay. You know, you're 19 years old. It would have been so overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I would just love to know who this guy was. I'm sure they've looked into him even though she ends up going to like a different location anyways but i'd love to know just what the argument was about i don't know so from there morgan resorted to living in cheap motels we're not really sure how she funded this if she only had 20 dollars to her name i was thinking maybe Credit she did get her tax return but then no i, I say, don't think she ever did her mother has said that basically 
I'm I'm pretty sure I actually cited it. It says that. yeah, it's you wrote later on that they can't verify if she ah, used it or not. Yeah, maybe she did get it and use it. Yeah, but it could be. I guess she could have also had a credit card and been using that. But in terms of she actually had twenty dollars savings or cash on her. Yeah. Um. So Morgan was in desperate need of a job at this point. She found a job as an exotic dancer at the now defunct top of Gainesville Strip Club in Gainesville, Georgia. The job didn't last long and Morgan returned to Atlanta. On February 25th, 2016, she went to the T Strip Club on Cheshire Bridge Road. According to the club's manager, she applied for a position, but she was missing some of the necessary paperwork. Apparently you need a license in Georgia. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> but like a stripper license or just yeah, a I don't license? Know. It must be like a, I don't even know, some type of license. So just to keep in mind all this has basically happened in under two weeks. She arrived in Georgia originally on February 12th, and right now we're at the 25th. So she's done a lot of moving in only less than two weeks. And she's gone from South Dakota from, you know, a relatively smallish town to massive cities. Like, it's a massive transition period for her. Yeah, and moving around a lot just between motels, guy's house. Now she's back here. Yeah. Um. So according to her mother, the last time that Morgan communicated with her family was on that day, the 25th of February. This was considered out of character as she was known for being very active on social media. And her last posts to Snapchat, Facebook, and Instagram are all from that night. Morgan made a Facebook post that day saying that she was employed at Tease, which isn't totally true because of the paperwork, but she wrote, and I work here, exclamation point. Maybe she was just... Uh, excited getting ahead being of herself a little bit presumptuous because she was like oh i can get the paperwork yeah so at some point on the 26th the next day morgan went back to gainesville which is around an hour from atlanta and she went back to the top of gainesville club which is where she first worked and left she left the club with another dancer and that dancer's boyfriend so now believe that these two people were caitlin goble and jonathan alexander warren what they did and where they went is unclear still, but it's confirmed that Morgan was last seen alive at a Sitco gas station in the early hours of February 27, 2016. Morgan's family and friends didn't think it was too unusual when they first didn't hear from her for a period of time, which is interesting because it was also uncommon for her to yeah i guess maybe it's uncommon for her to not be on social media yeah i guess when they look back they thought or maybe you know now they think it was out of her usual routine to not be posting but maybe it wasn't a red flag at the time because they weren't really looking to pay attention to that they didn't think it was too unusual when they didn't hear from her for a bit especially since like her and her mother had been arguing and they thought maybe they thought she was just getting settled into her new location a friend of Morgan's actually was the one to raise the alarm with sherry after the friend had not been able to get in touch with morgan for a few weeks Sherry realized something was wrong, and she flew to Atlanta to search for Morgan. Sherry reported Morgan missing on March 12, 2016, which is two weeks after she'd last been heard from. So the search for Morgan began, and police tracked her cell phone and found that the last ping was just after midnight on February 27, 2016. So this lines up with her last being seen at that gas station. The ping was in Porterdale, Georgia, where Caitlin and Jonathan had lived. So that's who she left the strip club with. Um, Yeah, the dancer and a boyfriend, yeah. Yeah. Police did search the area, but nothing was found. Morgan's cell phone was never located, and there's been no activity on it since. So when police questioned Caitlin and Jonathan, they denied at first that they had ever been with Morgan on the 27th. Red flag number one. (laughs) Eventually, they changed their story and said that they watched her get into a green Mitsubishi Eclipse at the gas station. Police were never able to find any CCTV to support that story. 
It also emerged that Caitlin had an audition at T's on the day that Morgan disappeared. And Morgan had offered to buy Caitlin's license as Atlanta requires exotic dancers to have a license. So T's is the one that Morgan was getting her new job at. But she didn't have the paperwork. She didn't have that license. Morgan's family made a GoFundMe to fund their search for her, and they posted some information about Morgan's social media movements. They wrote, We know she posted on Facebook until February 25th and on Instagram and Snapchat until the 29th, which doesn't really make sense. Which I actually feel like, so this is what they posted at the time, which was March 2016. So I believe after that, they kind of changed that, and that isn't entirely true. So, yeah. and maybe possibly because, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit hard to clarify, but possibly that they were using her phone for Snapchat um, yeah. after. But anyway, I, it's just a little, it's a little bit cloudy in terms of if that's actually true or not. Seems like whatever happened, happened on the night of the 26th into the 27th, yeah. right? It continues to say, we know there are pics that were on Snapchat of her dancing, but of course they disappear. We... No, we know no one has spoken to her since February 29th, 2016. We know her cell phone has gone straight to voicemail as well. We know these are not normal behaviors of hers. If she were to have internet access, she'd be posting. We know her phone has been active, but it is our understanding that today is the last day of service. So we believe that the post was made in March 2016 in terms of the today being the last day of service. Which seems very quick. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe she had some type of prepaid phone That's where if you I don't top it up within 30 days or whatever, it cuts out. I don't know. But it does seem very like a short time period after she vanished. Yeah, it must have been a prepaid situation because mm. otherwise you don't just like have a last day of service unless it was just like she hadn't paid the bill in months. But surely but also, I don't, I don't but know. her I, parents weren't paying the bill. She had no money. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're just speculating. Know. But I, that's what I assume it was a prepaid situation too. Yeah. Um, so the family also put a petition about the case on change.org titled demand a thorough investigation into the disappearance of Morgan Aaron Bauer by Atlanta PD. So according to that page, Caitlin Jonathan made alarming social media posts after Morgan had vanished. Caitlin made a post with a meme that said, Bob likes to kill Bob kills for fun. And she tagged Jonathan. There's lots of screenshots. So Caitlin's name online is Lilith chaos. Um, so yeah, she posted, looks like an octopus, like a cute little octopus, but it says, this is Bob. Bob kills people for fun. Bob is one creepy and then it's cut off. So you can't read the rest. Yeah. It's like a dumb little meme. But uh, other posts she made was, this is right. Like the day I think that Morgan went missing or, you know, around that time it said, I am the last person you'll ever want to look, lock horns with. Come on, try me bitches. Um, another one, I'm just saying if there's any other ones. She wrote, I hate how some people don't understand that they can't be hitting up someone else's boyfriend for emotional support. Leave us the fuck alone and understand that just because I've been nice so far doesn't mean I won't get scary if you cross me. And that was on the 27th, which would have been yeah. like right after something happened. I keep I, I keep like I was messing up the time zones because I always try and add a day on, but these are actual screenshots, I believe, from her time zone. So, yeah, that one was definitely on the 27th. Oh, right. <laughs> The change.org page was created in 2018, and by that time, the family had clarified some things about Morgan's social media footprint. They said, we cannot verify if her tax return was ever used. Her Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and other social media accounts all stopped activity on or before February 25th, 2016. She never applied for a job in her name or has done any kind of official documentation since she disappeared. Um, and just to backtrack for a minute, one month after Morgan disappeared, her sister Alyssa made an announcement that she believed Morgan was alive and well. 
Alyssa stated that Morgan had left South Dakota to get away from their manipulative and bipolar mother, Sherry. She accused Sherry of setting up a GoFundMe under false pretenses. Morgan's best friend, Taryn, who had originally told Sherry that Morgan was missing, also posted on a Facebook group that she believed she had been talking to Morgan online, which I feel like is probably just scammers. Yeah. Sherry spoke out about her search efforts for Morgan. She said that she'd hired a private investigator to aid in the search, but they only hindered it and used up valuable valuable resources. Sherry also said that she had handed out thousands of flyers, spoken with news outlets, reached out to missing persons organizations, and organized a billboard with information about the case. Um, So clearly there's some family drama between all of them. People have opinions about Sherry, but... I'm not going to get into that. Her Facebook is public. You can go and have a look and see for yourself. But um, she, like, you can't deny that she has been an advocate for Morgan over the years. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot going on. So after the initial push to find Morgan, things quieted down. Her case was sporadically covered over the years on TV shows and podcasts. But in July 2023, um, there was some movement in the case. And this would be seven years now after she vanished. So... People who had filed the case were like, oh, my God. And everyone messaged us. And I was like, I don't know this case. (laughs) Um, But police in the GBI searched a mansion in Porterdale, Georgia. And that home belongs to a man named Dr. Warren. And he is the father of Jonathan Warren, who we spoke about. Um, And he was one of the last people to have seen Morgan alive with Caitlin. And that's also where her phone last pinged, I believe, was one of the last pings was Porterdale in Georgia. Yeah, it was. Police said on Thursday, July 27th, that they've uncovered items of evidentiary value on the property. They didn't say what the items were, but News Chopper 2 was over the scene where there were several tents set up in a wooded area near a large home. Police released video of the FBI agents slowly combing the property in grid formation. I really want to know what they found. The property is like a bit of a mansion. Apparently the doctor is quite affluent and they like I've seen the house referred to as a mansion. Looks like a nice, beautiful house. But Yeah. I wonder what they're digging up. Usually mm. when there's tents and stuff like that, they're like digging. Hiding something, yeah. Or yeah. protecting something that they're trying to dig out. But you'd think if they found her remains they would have said something. I don't I think they have found her remains. They everything I've read said still missing, but maybe I don't know, maybe they buried, for example, something covered in blood. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I was like, if they find the remains, maybe unless they got to wait for like DNA, but usually they say they found remains. Yeah. I don't know. I guess they could have, and they could just be covering it up. But like, even I looked, the last articles were a few weeks ago. And as of that time, they haven't ever said anything about remains being found. Yeah. Or they could have even found like bone fragments. Maybe they don't know if it's like, yeah, yeah, it could be human, animal. Never know. Hopefully we find out soon. I'm always curious about evidence. So police said a new search warrant was issued based on new details that recently came to light. Sergeant Michael Anthony Walden with the Porterdale police made a statement about Morgan. He said she had left work in Gainesville and was not heard from again. Over time, information becomes clearer and locations become clearer. Oh, you mean like where her cell phone last pinged? Mm. (laughs) The Porterdale Police Department, Atlanta Police Department, Peoria, Illinois Police Department, Newton (laughs) Newton County. Newton County Sheriff's Office and Newton County District Attorney's Office were all assisting the FBI in the investigation. The question was asked at the time why police from Illinois were involved in the investigation. Sergeant Wald said, I don't have specifics, nor can I mention it at this time because it's an ongoing development at this time. In videos I watched today, I think I read that 
Caitlin. Well, a s- yeah. Spoiler alert: they were arrested. Yeah. So <laughs> that's where she was from. Yeah. So she was arrested in Illinois. Yeah. So I guess that's why they were involved. Yeah. Uh, sorry, jumped ahead. <laughs> um, on August third, twenty twenty-three, the Porterdale Police Department released the following statement said Porterdale police officers are continuing the investigation for missing person Morgan Bauer. Chief Cripps would like to thank the news media and the public for their support. Porterdale police officers obtained arrest warrants and two persons have been arrested in this ongoing investigation. Investigators are still actively investigating. (laughs) (laughs) Investigators are still actively investigating the case and it is continuing to develop. Investigators are in constant communication with the district attorney and his office. Caitlin Goble was arrested in Peoria, Illinois, for the following charges. Felony concealing death, felony tampering with evidence, and then Jonathan Alexander Warren was arrested in Los Angeles, California for the following charges. Felony murder, felony aggravated assault, felony concealing death, and misdemeanor tampering with evidence. So we thank you for your cooperation and understanding regarding the sensitivity of the matter. The Newton County District Attorney will provide any further information. We've been seeing GBI agents come and go all day at this same property they searched the other day when they discovered items of, quote, evidentiary value. Now there have been two arrests in connection with the disappearance of Morgan Bauer. It all goes back to the couple that was last seen with Morgan. Those two people are now behind bars. Cops in Los Angeles over the weekend arrested Jonathan Alexander Warren on murder and aggravated assault charges. In Illinois, police arrested Caitlin Goble on charges of concealing a death and tampering with evidence. We don't know if it's Morgan or if it's something else that they recovered. They're not really sharing that information publicly. And, of course, Morgan is still considered a missing person. 19-year-old Morgan Bauer has been missing since 2016, just after she moved to Atlanta and began working at a strip club. For the last seven years, Casey McClure has helped Morgan's mom. She runs an organization advocating for women in the sex industry. McClure says in the course of their search, they even spoke with the suspects at a club. She received a tip and said, hey, there was a couple that was hanging out with your daughter and they were in Georgia at this time. And we went to that club and had an interaction with this couple. McClure said the last time Morgan was seen alive was with Warren and Goble. Caitlin was very, um, very sweet and polite and well-mannered and seemed concerned about Morgan. And Alex was very frigid. Morgan's mom wasn't ready to speak on camera, instead writing on Facebook, quote, what we cannot share is speculation. Please understand legally and currently, Morgan is still considered a missing person. While we are so grateful that arrests have been made, this is an ongoing investigation. Caitlin's mugshot is out there. I haven't seen it. I didn't really look either, but I, have, I, I don't see pictures of him. No, there's been discussion in the group, and I don't think anyone yet has been able to find his mugshot for whatever reason. Maybe it's a Georgia or wherever he was arrested thing, but um, yeah, I've only seen hers too. She looks lame. <laughs> She's... <laughs> I, know, I don't want anyone to say we're being mean, but it's an interesting mugshot. <laughs> So after Caitlin was arrested, her ex-partner David made a bunch of social media posts about the situation. One says, in desperate and dire need of a mother figure for my children since my ex-wife won't be in the picture anymore. Like, dude, why? <laughs> That's fucking... <laughs> Looking for mother figures immediately. Like, step up. You're the mother figure now and the father figure. Mm. 
Um, he also wrote, to my children, I apologize for creating you before I had it all together. I apologize to you for having to go through the struggle with me while I build our futures. Just know through everything we face, daddy will always be on your side and I will never give up or turn my back on you. Know that because of you, I'm fighting this fight and whatever comes our way, I'm at it head first and that's on me. These weary days and dark clouds will soon come to an end. Dada. Data will always be here for you. 100 emoji. Believe that. So as of the time of recording, Morgan's remains have still not been found. They still haven't said much as far as the evidence, like we were saying, but seems like there's good progress being made and we'll probably find out more information soon. And if anything else happens by the time I put this out, which in my heart, I feel like Nothing else will come out by the time this comes out, but I'll put in a clip. I guess the only thing that could come out is if they do announce that they have found her. Um, or like but, whatever the evidence they found, yeah, maybe. that would but. be, I would think, the only real update. I feel like it sounds like even just from those Facebook posts, posts maybe the motive was like jealousy If she, when she was like, don't hit on my boyfriend or whatever. I don't know. Well, I think it's also interesting. They're both like auditioning and jobs kind of at the yeah. same place. Like maybe there was yeah. only a spot for one. Yeah. I, like there's a few things it could be, but I yeah, it just seems like like I guess it could have even been some type of drug related death. But then would they be charged with felony murder? I don't know. But anyway, um, <clears throat> all right. So the second missing person we're going to discuss today is a very recent one. It's a man from San Francisco named Johannes Kadane. He's a 22 year old male, and he's been missing since August 14 this year. So around 10 days at the time of recording. This morning, a family is urgently searching for a missing man who recently started working for Netflix in Los Gatos. 23-year-old Johannes Kidani was last seen at the Golden Gate Bridge Visitor Center last Monday after getting in an Uber in San Jose. Kidani's family has flown in from New York in hopes of finding him. They attended service at San Francisco's Third Baptist Church yesterday morning where they found support from the congregation there. Family members said they will not give up until they find him. We're not going to stop until we do. And we love him a lot. We miss him. We're going to find him. The San Jose Police Department says there is an open missing persons case. The department says officers are investigating but have no updates on this case so far. So Johannes is a graduate at Cornell University and he recently relocated to the Bay Area after he was hired by Netflix to work as a software engineer. He has two siblings. His older brother is Yosef and his younger sister is Sarah. Their parents immigrated to the U.S. from Eritrea and they were all born and raised in Rochester, New York. Yosef has been kind of very vocal in this case and he's given a lot of interviews. He said, there is no me without Johannes. He's my best friend in the world. He's always been right by my side. People have always confused us. Our names, our appearance, our mannerisms. We were fortunate to study together, to grow up together, and to learn together. The two brothers even went to the same college, which was Cornell. Yosef said, when he came in doing computer science, it kind of piqued my interest and made me a little competitive. So I started taking some classes and ended up really enjoying it. Even though he's a year younger than me, I had the privilege of being his homework partner in our algorithms class. Yosef also said he was one of the best engineers out of his class at Cornell, a very smart, bright individual. Johannes graduated from Cornell in May this year and he moved to San Jose to start his job with Netflix. Yosef said he was super excited to start working at Netflix. He was always talking about how wise and capable his co-workers were. I did see a video today with NBC and they said that he was still living in kind of like a Y hotel, hostel type situation there, I guess, while he got 
sorted and situated. So Yosef last spoke to Johannes on Sunday, August 13, 2023. Yosef said he had work the next morning, but we talked for an hour. He caught me up on a lot of stuff that was happening at work. So I guess, as we mentioned, these siblings were very close. They must have kept track of each other's locations, maybe through an app like Life360 or Find My iPhone or whatever. So Sarah checked Johannes' location on his phone and noticed that it had changed. Joseph said somewhere around 8 p.m. she saw his phone location at the Golden Gate Bridge, which wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Figured he could have been meeting with a friend or checking it out with work people or something. So even though they said it's not out of the ordinary, the Golden Gate Bridge is more than an hour away from his apartment or his where he was staying. So it does seem a little bit out of the ordinary, like a random place to be, but maybe Go they just way to get there. Maybe they just had some reasoning in their mind about why he would have been there. So the next day was Tuesday, August 15, and his location still showed at the Golden Gate Bridge. Yosef said that's when they started to panic. Sarah said she'd been calling, trying to see what he was doing, and he never picked up. He said, she calls me, wakes me up before I start work, and we start calling his phone, calling friends, trying to see where he could be. So they kept watching his location, and they saw that his phone started moving. They called it and a stranger answered. He said that he'd found the phone and Johannes' wallet with $30 cash, cards and ID in it at the Golden Gate Bridge Welcome Center. Yosef said, someone who was in San Rafael and was on a commute saw a phone and a wallet sitting on this small grassy hill right between the Welcome Center and the coffee shop. 30 bucks in cash was in his wallet, his ID cards and his phone were untouched. The stranger said that he would help us get them back to Johannes and so we focused our efforts on actually finding where he was. So they called the San Jose Police Department and asked them to do a welfare check, but he wasn't there. Police also went to Netflix and found that he had never showed up for work on the Tuesday. We're assuming he went to work on the Monday after he spoke with Yosef, as we haven't really seen it stated anywhere otherwise, and it's just been stated that he didn't go on the Tuesday. So it seems like something happened to him on Monday afternoon or evening. Mm-hmm. Police started their investigation and discovered that Johannes got into a black Toyota Uber at around 7.15 p.m. outside of his apartment on North 4th Street in San Jose, and this was the last time he's been seen. On August 19, Yosef told Dateline that as far as he knows, the Uber driver had not been identified. This is kind of a weird little side note, but the family have made a GoFundMe, which has raised a lot of money, like tens of thousands of dollars. But according to that GoFundMe, Johannes had a strange experience with an Uber driver just days before he disappeared. This is from the GoFundMe. It says, on Saturday, August 12, he had a strange encounter with an Uber driver when trying to get home to San Jose from San Francisco. The driver was insistent on taking him through Oakland and Johannes was suspicious of his intentions and was finally able to cancel his ride after crossing the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge. After this ordeal, he expressed his hesitancy in ride sharing alone. That's interesting to me. Um, I feel like it could show mental health Possibly. Like, I feel like... Yeah, yeah. Or like I like even when you get an Uber, I was thinking about this. I spent a lot of time thinking about this case this week. Like when you get an Uber, it shows you the route. Like, you know, you put your, your start and your ending and it shows you the route that the driver will likely take. I just I would like to know more about this whole ride and what actually happened. Yeah, it's weird. Um mm. that's why maybe and initially I think maybe like a paranoia, but and like what 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 are you worried about? going through i don't know the area well either obviously what would be wrong with going through oakland or why would the guy want to go through oakland why is that a red flag is it a bad area i don't know and also i wonder maybe like i have read that he was going on that night he apparently told his brother that he might go and see a friend in san francisco but it seems like he was spending a lot of time in san francisco which was quite a way away from where he lived 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just seems – and, like, those Ubers would have cost a fortune. Yeah, totally. San, San Jose to San Francisco is 57 miles or an hour and 22-minute drive. So if he's <laughs> Ubering this whole way, it would be very expensive, especially regular Ubers back and forth. Like, I'm assuming he had to get an Uber to San Francisco and then one back to San Jose. Like, that would be – massive expense every day or however however often he was doing it especially like a a drive that long like I wouldn't think anything about the route because I don't think I'd really know it I would just expect the uber driver to know it better than me it's like if they took a route that I was unfamiliar with I wouldn't really think twice about it because I'd probably be unfamiliar with the whole area because I wouldn't go an hour and 20 minutes away that often unless I guess he seems like he did The family filed a missing persons report with the San Jose PD. They said the investigation has uncovered no evidence. When I say they, sorry, I mean the police department. The investigation has uncovered no evidence to suggest a crime has occurred. San Jose detectives have kept Mr. Cadane's family advised of all pertinent developments and the case will remain open until he is located. They, the police have also said they are coordinating their investigation with the California Highway Patrol, the Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District, the U.S. Coast Guard and Uber to obtain a conclusive answer as to his whereabouts. So the family were notified on the Tuesday that Johanne's backpack, laptop and personal documents were also found. Yosef said we're not exactly sure where, but we assume some proximity to the bridge. So the family have travelled from New York to the Bay Area. Yusuf said, my family started hanging posters around San Francisco, around medical centers, youth shelters, homeless shelters, anywhere you may have looked for aid or respite, and I walked around the bridge for hours. So we have had some questions about the Uber ride that Johannes took, and there isn't a whole lot of answers, like the driver hasn't been made public, but this info is from NBC. It says that a spokesperson for Uber confirmed that Johannes used the rideshare service but ended at the requested destination without any reported incidents, which was the Golden Gate Bridge Welcome Centre. The spokesperson said that Uber had been in touch with the driver and with law enforcement to cooperate with the investigation. So it seems like from Johannes end, he put that as his final destination and according to Uber, that's where he was let out of the car. So that's all we know about the Uber so far. I guess it's probably more like, discussion for the end but who has his phone now because i feel like you could tell and we said this in other episodes you could tell a lot about what someone was doing just by having their phone their search history what are they looking up like if i'm going anywhere you know i'm like googling it i need to see pictures of where i'm going even with like restaurants i look up the menu so what was he googling (laughs) on his way there and like the days leading up to this was it anything suspicious or was there a pattern in the last few days or, yeah, I, I, I suspect the police probably have his phone, um, which maybe is why the family haven't said much more about that. Um, yeah. That would be my suspicion. Anyway. Or that random guy still has it. <laughs> yeah. So Johanne's mother, Merit Hannah Bayan, has been pleading for his safe return. She said that she wants to take him home and that she needs her son. She said that Johannes is a good man with a bright future who loves his family a lot. So as of the time of recording, he is still missing. Johannes is five foot eight and 150 pounds. He was last seen wearing grey sweatpants, a black hoodie and black shoes. And anyone with information is asked to call the San Jose Police Department. Um, We did ask on Instagram what people thought had maybe happened in this case and the overwhelming response was that he likely took his life at the bridge. Um, I'm just reading through any of the comments. Someone did ask, has the Uber driver been cleared? But I would say 90% of the comments indicate that they believe he may have taken his life because essentially why else would you be at the bridge and why else would you leave all your things there behind? Yeah. Um, I also likely think that 
that is what happened. Um, we started to have a look into Golden Gate Bridge suicide information, you know, because and it, it's I'll read some of what we found. But between 1937 and 2012, an estimated 1,400 bodies were recovered of people who had jumped from the bridge. So that's on average around 75 people per year. They are currently installing a suicide net, which should be completed later this year. The original cost of the net was estimated to be around $150 million, but the cost has now blown out to around $400 million. There are some photos of the bridge and, and the net and renderings, and basically the net comes out wide enough. So I guess if you were to jump, you wouldn't fall but then I guess if you were really desperate you could just go over the net like it looks like kind of almost like a flat net um but maybe, maybe... it's to just deter you in general yeah. so you're like oh I'm gonna go on the net and then give you a second thought yeah I was reading a story while I was researching more about Golden Gate Bridge suicides and stuff there was um, a guy who posted on Reddit that jumped and survived and he was saying the only thing he remembers is as soon as he jumped he looked back up in instinctively like tried to reach back for the bridge or like reached up to the sky as like a second thought like a regret so maybe jumping and landing into the net would be enough for some people to be like whoa I don't want to do this so people we've also seen questions like well if you did jump why didn't anyone see it there are cameras on the bridge um I tried to find numbers about who many it's a little bit up in the air but we don't believe that they cover the entirety of the bridge it might also be weather or fog dependent we did look up the sun set that night and it was at 8.03. So if it was an hour from his apartment, he likely would have arrived there, let's say 8.15. If he sat there for a little while, it could have been fully dark by the time he jumped. And maybe literally no one just did see him if that is the case. I was also wondering, I'm like, how many people are on the bridge? How many people are driving? So I looked up um, like the pedestrian bridge and how people can go on it. So apparently the east side, which is where the pedestrians can go, the hours between March to November, which is now, are 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. And then automatically controlled gates close at 9 p.m. And then reopen at 5 a.m. So if he got there around 8, maybe he lingered around closer to 9 where he knew people would be like getting off the bridge. Um, So there probably wasn't that many pedestrians at least driving around. I'm sure when you're, I mean, walking around. I guess, and even even though they say they say the gates are automatically controlled, so you know, I'm guessing no one kind of no employee goes along the bridge and makes sure no one is on there. The gates just have a timer and they shut at that time because it's it's always open to bicyclists. I read so ah. people um the bike part of it, which I think is separate from the pedestrian part, like a little. If they get to the gate part, there's a little bell they can ring, and they have to ring the bell, and then whoever works there will look and verify it's someone on the bike and let them in or out. Right. Um, Another thing I saw about, because I was like, there's got to be cameras on this bridge, like we were just saying. So I was looking on Reddit and someone left a comment being like, I find it remarkable, like given how much of a tourist destination this is and how many suicides there are, that there's uh, not a shit ton of cameras. And someone commented, this is weirdly two days ago, um, there are cameras and they see everything, them walking on the bridge and not walking off, them jumping, etc., They just don't tell anyone except the family in question, and it usually takes a week or two for them to notify the family of the footage for whatever reason. I only know this because a girl at my high school jumped off and her family told everyone about the footage. The radio silence from them suggests he jumped, and they try to keep everything secret to prevent copycats, so they literally say nothing with the rare exception of cases like this. The family keeps it a secret as well. But we were looking at pictures because I was wondering what the weather was like that day as well. It seems like there is pretty heavy fog around the Golden Gate Bridge a lot too. Yeah. 
but I think there's definitely footage where you can see everyone who walked on the bridge and then you see them not walking off. I saw another person saying that's how they were able to be like, well, we saw them go on the bridge, but we never saw them leave. I think that's the one that you listed too. Yeah, yeah, which we can talk about quickly in a minute. But even like I'm just looking now at the actual pedestrian kind of lanes. So if he wanted to wait till it got dark until everyone else was off the bridge, like it's a very wide pedestrian lane, like it's a separate, it's fenced off from the road. He very well could have gone in there before the gate shut and just kind of sat a little. along the middle of the span of the bridge or whatever and waited for everyone to go if 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 that is what he wanted to do like I could see that absolutely being possibility someone else said about the cameras he said they're everywhere for sure my car broke down on the bridge once and within a minute or two they were on me telling me they saw me on the camera and asking me what happened if your car breaks down it's not a bad place aside from some assholes honking at you and just thinking you parked there for fun the bridge officials and police want you off as soon as possible so it seems like they're, they keep an eye on it to some extent. I did find an interesting stat and it said the California Highway Patrol estimates with the help of cameras and the volunteers. So there's people I think who either monitor the bridge for possible jumpers, um, anyway, but with those volunteers and the cameras, at least 80 to 90% of people intending to jump are prevented from doing so, hmm. which is interesting. Another thing I was wondering about, because then I was like, all right, well, what is body have washed up by now? Someone else asked that on Reddit. And they said, it depends on the current, but they're frequently swept north towards Marin. I won't go into details, but I was brought into a body recovery effort and spoke to the Marin County morgue about it. And someone said, it took about a month for them to find JV's body, whoever that is. Um, and someone said, no, bodies usually sink initially. While they float with bloating, rougher currents and waters may prevent floating or they may sweep them far out to the sea. As a result, few bodies are found, though some wash up, sometimes quickly, but often much later. There are a lot of people who have gone missing on the Golden Gate Bridge and who are thought to have jumped. Um, I guess some of these might have been kind of pre a lot of the cameras. There is one case that I followed and it's fairly recent. It's the case of Sydney West. She went missing in 2020, so I'm assuming by that stage there would have been a whole bunch of cameras on there. She was last seen shortly before sunrise and basically that she disappeared into the fog near the bridge. This mm -hmm. is uh, from an article from SF Gate from a, a private investigator named Scott Dudek. I feel like we've talked about him before. His name sounds does, familiar. Does sound familiar. So it says, first off, it was 6.45, roughly in the morning, extremely crowded. It was foggy. She kind of disappears into the fog. You think that if someone went and crawled up on the rails with all those people and bike riders, someone would have called or someone would have tried to talk to her and had come forward, but that never happened. There are a lot of people on the bridge that morning, so that's what continues to baffle us, said her mother. They have got surveillance footage of Sydney West when on the bridge apparently, but they haven't shared it with the public. And that day that she went missing, there was fog and wildfire smoke. Um, just as a kind of little interesting side note, Sydney was did get to the bridge via a rideshare service as well. But I feel like that is just a standard way for people to travel these days. Yeah, especially in areas like this. With Johannes, um, some people were saying online that it didn't, seem like he would commit suicide or like his family didn't hint that he had any mental health issues and someone else was like oh like he talked to his brother the night before for a long time and they're really close like when his brother have picked up a vibe but i don't know I'm like does he usually talk to his brother for this long maybe he talked to his brother for so long because he maybe knew deep down it would be like the last time he was going to talk to him and kind of like a way of saying goodbye 
And it sounds like he was a very high achiever, Johannes. He had a great job, a great education. Sometimes that would be a lot of pressure. Maybe pressure, he wasn't yeah. enjoying the job and he's like, what am I going to do now? Like there could be a bunch of reasons for it. Um, and a lot of times too I've heard that when people are determined to take their own lives, that seems like the happiest and the most carefree that they've ever been because they know that there is an end in sight. So maybe if he appeared fine to his brother, that could be a reason why. Um, and I did see people mention how with men in general, especially in certain cultures, mental health is not something um, that is spoken about openly or it's like something they should be ashamed of. People don't want to talk about depression, um, especially I'm not sure what his culture was, but even just as being a male, it's always been like, up, oh, just like pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Like you're not depressed and we're not going to talk about that. So could have just been saying that he hid. But then again, I don't know him. I know there's people in my life that I know very well where if someone told me that they had suddenly committed suicide, I'd be shocked and I'd be like, there's absolutely no way. So I understand both sides to an extent. And I guess too, as like just putting myself in the family shoes for a minute, if you did think there was maybe a possibility that he could have taken his life, would you really make that public for a lot of reasons? Maybe you're trying to protect his kind of pride and his story if you think that's a case maybe you also believe that people might not be as willing to help you if they think it's a case of suicide um they might just be very very private people so i you know i could understand there would be a lot of reasons why the family haven't said that if they think there is a chance that's what happened and of course they want to hold on to hope that yeah. that isn't what happened since they don't seem to have any solid answer or even evidence that he went on the bridge as far as we know I can't blame them for wanting to cling to the hope that it was something with the Uber driver. He was kidnapped and someone left his stuff there to frame him. And I mean, to like f make it seem like he jumped, but really they abducted and murdered him. So like, I can't blame the family for wanting to believe that versus suicide. There's a lot of questions too. Like I, I was just looking to see if there were any updates and there's one article that said actually two laptops were found at the Golden Gate Bridge. So if he yeah. left where he was staying, why did he take all that? Like it was a, a, an evening, like I'm assuming he had plans to go to work the next day. What was he doing going to the Golden Gate Bridge where Uber has said his final destination was with all his possessions? Like it just seems like a very unusual th thing to do on the night that you have work to take all your things like even if you wanted to go and have a look at the bridge or to meet someone there do you really need to take both your laptops or yeah do, I it saw just is weird people are saying like it's not if you work in tech it's not weird to have two laptops but again why bring both with you like was he doing work like why did he need both and another thing I was thinking before the Golden Gate Bridge is like we said an, an hour away like he chose to go specifically there an hour away so like he was just like wandering around being like having a nice walk turn wound up at the Golden Gate Bridge he specifically chose to go there by himself unless they find out he was meeting someone or something but it seems like not I don't know yeah it's weird yeah so if we get an answer to this one I will put in a clip just since this is along the topic of suicide, if you're feeling alone or having thoughts of suicide, whether or not you're in crisis or know someone who is, don't remain silent. Talk to someone you can trust through the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can call or text 988 for help. 
everything for these cases will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. Follow us on Instagram at truecrimesociety. My username is stuffsum underscore Olivia's TCS Olivia if you want to check out our profiles. Um, check out our Patreon. We do all the episodes ad-free. We do mini episodes, um, early release of the regular episodes, plus just fun communities, fun little Facebook group. We just did a mini episode just with some headline news. So if you're interested in extra stuff, check that out. Make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you are listening on. It's a big help to us when you do that. And share the podcast, review, rate it, all those things. Uh, Don't write us mean messages. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Peace out. (laughs)